0: welcome welcome to school of the bible each week we'll look through a book of the bible and go through that whole book to better understand it right hopefully these overviews so they're going to be overviews you know we can't like go into detail because you know there's a lot of bible and you could spend hours on just like a single verse so these will be overviews and hopefully they'll help us in understanding scripture and equipping us for when we read scripture in our own time as private devotions or when we're trying to share the gospel with family friends etc etc so in my opinion many people are bible illiterate right even educated people right i count myself as one of those people i used to be bible literate um, didn't know how to read the bible despite my best intentions uh, which is dangerous because if what the bible has to say is true um, then everyone should read it and understand it, right? Because what's contained in the scriptures have eternal consequences. So every week we'll do two, two books, right? Uh, sometimes we'll spend uh, two sessions in one book. Like next week, we're gonna do Genesis alone because it's so big and there's so much in there. But most of the time we'll do two books. Sometimes we'll do four. Sometimes we'll do more than that. Um, so I encourage you guys to read ahead as much as you can. Try read through uh, a chapter, a few chapters, even if you don't quite understand everything. Maybe you could find questions or things that you can bring to the session and then we all go through it. Um, yeah, uh, just a couple things I need to clarify, point out. One, I'm not an expert. Sometimes I do know the answer, sometimes I don't. If you have a question that we cannot answer, then, you know, we can always go do some research and then come back and answer it. Secondly, if I'm not clear on something... Um, or I'm assuming knowledge, right? Sometimes I assume you guys know something. Please stop me, ask me to repeat or clarify, Um, especially because we will be linking ideas and themes as we go. So, like, if you're confused now, chances are you'll be confused later. So please don't hesitate, speak up, say, okay, not making sense, Uh, whatever it is. Rather stop me and ask me to clarify. Thirdly, disagreement. Nobody has perfect theology, right? Which is kind of the point of this course as well. We're all kind of working towards... Uh, a deeper and truer knowledge of scripture and who God is. Um, so, I highly encourage dialogue, debate, even if you say, Kai, I know you're wrong, I hold this position. Let everyone know because you might also be thinking someone is afraid to voice. You know, say that, bring it up, we'll talk about it uh, because, you know, iron sharpens iron and make each other better. So, yeah. In the first session, right, the first, oh, the breakdown will be 45 minutes, and then we'll take a 15-minute break, and then another 45 minutes. Hope you guys are cool with that. Um, This first session will take a broad overview of the Bible. What is our view of the Bible? What is our understanding of the Bible? What is the importance of the Old Testament? And why is it important to read it, right, the Old Testament, and study it? Because it is a neglected part of Scripture. Then we look at the breakdown of the Bible, right, our Bible as we have it today, um, um, and then we'll compare that, right? These Bibles that we have to the Jewish Bible, Orthodox Jew Bible, right? Um, and then in the second session, we'll look at the first eleven chapters of Genesis. So that's our agenda for tonight. Any questions? We good? Cool. So we'll start off with the question that I have for you guys, right? Um, how many books are there in the Bible? Six. Okay, I'll write it down for those who would like to take notes. You all get a cup of juice. Right? So we have 66 books. Um, how many in the Old Testament? 39. 39. You get biscuits. <laughs> Thirty-nine in the Old Testament. New Testament, if you're good at medicine. 27. 27, right. So the Bible was written roughly over 1,200 years right, give or take, by over like 40, 45 men from all walks of life, right, it's really incredible, it's written, it's a book uh, or collection of books with authors from different periods of time, from different walks of life, right, from the highest to the lowest, so there's kings, there's uh, politicians, there's uh, prophets, there's shepherds, there's fishermen, doctors, all these different people from different walks of life, and yet, it's a book that has a consistency of one author, right? And that author is God, right? As Christians, we know that God is the author of creation. So what does it mean to say that the Bible is written by God? Does anyone know? I'm going to give it a shot. It's um, inspired. It's inspired. Okay. It's, it's, okay, if you have your Bibles, you should have your Bibles. Let's turn to 2 Timothy three sixteen. Yes, ma'am. Yeah um
1: remember so we were going through each mm-hmm. of Michael mentioned that a certain epistles that aren't part of this. Mm. Uh
0: like where do those fall in? So we do make records today, so. Yeah. so they don't fall in the canon of scripture. Mm. In the 66 books so you uh like michael kept emphasizing that there's like four letters to the corinthians right and two of them we have in our bibles but they're not canon they're not part of scripture right so in the in the and it's not only those two you know i'm sure you've heard of um, uh, the book of enoch or the book of other stuff and Uh, Even then, like even when it comes to the Old Testament, there were other writings, right? So we have the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, but they'll tell us that there were other prophets as well during the time. And they also wrote what, because they were true prophets, what could be considered scripture, but they weren't added to the final canon of scripture. But we know that um, if we were to find them and read them today, they'd be consistent with God's word because they, they are God's word. But... God sees fit to have just this, and I think we'll flesh that out just now. Yeah, he that answer your question. Okay, so I uh, just go to Second Timothy three sixteen. Can anyone just read it quickly? Anyone interested? Three 2 Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is
1: given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction, for
0: instruction in righteousness. Yeah. Okay. So, no, that's fine. That's fine. So, you guys heard that, right? Um, my version, I'm using the ESV. Is that the ESV? Um, it's not right. So, my version, ESV, says all scripture is breathed out by God, right? So, scripture is God breathed, right? Um, so, first of all, let's take a seat. So, first of all, right, um, that scripture is God-breathed. This book is not like any other, ever, in the history of all time. It's a unique book, uh, the only one breathed out by God, right? We have many books by many godly men, but none compared to scripture because scripture is the only one that's breathed out by God, right? So, saying that God wrote the Bible does not mean that he took a pen in hand, uh, grabbed some paper or parchment back in the day and physically wrote the text of scripture. His writing of scripture was not a physical action on his part. So God's authorship was accomplished through the process of inspiration. right? Someone, as uh, Ishmael said, inspiration, right? which, which uh, uh, means that human writers wrote God's message. So, inspiration refers to the fact that God divinely influenced the human authors of Scripture in such a way that what they wrote was the very word of God, right? I think many people you you picture um, Moses or the Apostle Paul just kind of like going into a trance and you know is writing the God of Word, almost like a zombie, you know, in the spirit. But um, you see that God, how He works is He uses people and. Um, in their fullness. So he uses Paul and his knowledge, his life experience, his memories, his emotions to bring about his word, right? Paul writes, I'm sure from his point of view, as Paul, but it comes out as God's word, right? That's, that kind of encapsulates what inspiration means, right? Um, even if we use the word inspired, right? We say the writers were inspired, whoever wrote scripture, but really the, the more accurate term, Really, the more accurate term is expired, right? So the word expired, if you look at X, it means out. And then the uh, root word is spirare, which, which means breathe, right? It's breathed out, right? That kind of used to be the translation back in the day. So the word of God is breathed out. Even when something dies or someone dies, we say that it's expired because it's breathed out its final breath, right? So the word, the Bible, is breathed out by God all scriptures God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So 2 Peter 1 verse 21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, that's inspiration. So essentially, it's accurate to say that inspired men of God wrote the Bible. right? The doctrine of inspiration uh, uh of Scripture, essentially that God superintended the human authors of the Bible so that their individual styles were preserved, but the end result was precisely what God wanted, right? So, what does it mean? Like, what is the consequence of Scripture being God breathed, right? So, there's a few things that we need to keep in mind and kind of have to accept when it comes to Scripture, right? Um, first one is, I'm sure you've seen this word, inerrancy. Right, Which is to say that there are no errors in scripture, right? It is without error in the original manuscript. So a manuscript was, uh, the, were the original copies of the Bible. Um, we say that, they, that those manuscripts, those original copies, are without error. Um, I'm sure you've seen uh, a lot of criti- critics of Christianity say, "Oh, you contrast uh, this, this translation." You know, because the translation of the Bible from this was was poor, Um, and I think many people in their mind, they think, okay, um, the Bible was translated into Greek, and then it was translated into Latin, and then it was translated into English. No, when we translate the Bible, we always translate from the original, from the manuscript, regardless of any um, language. So if there are errors, then the errors will be in the translation. But even in those errors, like they're very small, they're very tiny details, like you missed out a comma or a dot, or here it says him, where in this copy it says them, you know. So the errors that we do find, right, we pick them up through what's called textual criticism. And textual criticism is where we take a whole lot of manuscripts and you put them all together and you can kind of work backwards. And it's amazing because through textual criticism, you can actually see what the original Bible said, right? You can actually see, okay, these people who had these scripts, they made the mistake here. They made this error here. They made this, this mistake here. You can actually trace the original uh, scripture through textual criticism, right? Um, so we can have confidence in the scriptures that we have that it is indeed God's word. Because some people worry, like, is this really the Bible in my hands? Is this really God's word, Right? So second thing is scripture is for life and godliness, right? That's what 2 Timothy told us just now. Mm-hmm. Scripture is sufficient for life and godliness, which is very important because scripture never claims that it'll be the only book you'll ever need, right? Um, but it is the only book you will ever need for what? For life and godliness. Um, some of you are students here. Uh, Please don't throw away your math textbook, right? Your Bible will not help you when it comes to group theory or complex analysis. Right? So the Bible is not a math textbook. But where it talks about math, it is true. Right? Where it touches on biology or science or history or philosophy, it is true. Some people will say that the message of scripture is, is true, but there are some facts or some things that are wrong here and there. Right. People will say it was written in a pre-scientific era. You know, so the people back then, oh, they didn't really understand history or biology or XYZ. Right. The problem with that is it means that scripture is in fact errant, right? It means that there are mistakes. God made mistakes. And can we really trust a God who doesn't know his geography or his history or his maths or science? Right? If God can't get the dates right, then how can I trust God with the eternal state of my life and my soul, right? If you can't even get maths right, then why should I have confidence in him? So if there are seeming contradictions between science and God, what are the possible explanations? Either the science is wrong, or we are misunderstanding the interpretation of Scripture, right? We're probably misinterpreting it, or science is wrong, right? But do we ever say that the Bible is wrong? The thing is, it's not. Right. So another thing that's important is scripture is our ultimate authority. Right? Scripture is our ultimate authority, and scripture is self-authenticating. If it's our ultimate authority, can we say, can we authenticate it or can we say that it's true based off anything outside of it? Right? Can we use science to authenticate scripture? What do you guys think? No. We can't, right? And the reason why we can't do that is because if you authenticate Scripture by something outside of it, then that becomes your ultimate authority. Right? Because if we're like, okay, science says the Bible is true, and if the science says it's not, then what do we do? We've made science the ultimate authority. Same thing with history. Some people say... Um, Oh no, like history, historically we can't say that the Bible is true because X, Y, Z, but we have made history, you know, the ultimate authority. So when you move on to something else, you make that thing your ultimate authority, right? So what is our ultimate authority when it comes to scripture? How do we authenticate scripture?
1: scripture?
0: Using scripture, 100%, right? God is self-authenticating, right? If scripture is God-breathed, then it is the very word of God, it's, it's his character, right? So who are we as human beings to be like, okay, you are God, right? Who does God have to prove himself to, right? Scripture is true because scripture says it's true, right? And if you go to your colleagues or your university uh, campus, fellow students, um, they'll say you're using circular reason, Right. They'll accuse you of circular reasoning, you being intellectually dishonest, X, Y, Z. But when it comes to ultimate authorities, circular reasoning is a very valid form of arguing or reasoning. Right. Um, so if someone says, you're saying that the Bible is God's word because the Bible says it's God's word, you must say yes. Right. Every person has to use circular reasoning. Otherwise, um, if you appeal to something outside of that thing, your ultimate authority becomes that thing. So, even with people who use science, right, if you ask them, is science the ultimate authority? Is it true? Right, they will say yes. If you ask them to prove it, what will they use? Science, right? If you ask someone about history, what will they use? They will use history. They're like, well, history says, like, no, 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 use something else. They'll start to stumble over their words, right? So, even if you uh, oppose, some people uh, see themselves as the ultimate authority, right? My reasoning, my understanding, my intellect, right? So if you say, uh, if someone says, my ultimate authority is my reasoning, and I say, prove it, what are they going to do? They're going to start to reason. They're going to start to be like, wow, I'm this kind of person, I'm this kind of person. So um, that's the thing. So it's not that it's a, a bad thing necessarily, Circular reasoning is a very valid form of arguing, especially when it comes to ultimate authorities. It's actually the only way. Otherwise, that thing is not an ultimate authority. right? So another thing, if you want to use your reasoning as an ultimate authority, well, do you know everything? You don't. right? You can barely remember what you read from the textbook two hours ago when you were in a lecture. right, Litabo. So you always find... Um, that reasoning will fail you, right? Um, science is constantly changing, right? Uh, it's, not, it's not too long ago, science believed that the world was flat. Right? Today, we laugh at those people, and call them conspiracy theorists. Um, science today is constantly changing. Um, this vaccine is effective. No, it's not effective. No, this is a way to prevent a disease. No, this is a way to prevent a disease. Where is it ever stable? Where is it ever solid? You know, where is it ever grounded and constant and consistently true? You know, hardly. Um, evolution. You know, like I think if you uh, run into a person who brings the theory of evolution up, you must tell them this. Remember, it is a theory. It's actually not proven, but people just walk as if it's a fact of life. You know, um, and so with believers, with us, with the Bible. We know it's true because we read it and there is nothing in god's word that is not true right scripture is self-authenticating it's self-validating and being god's word it is an ultimate authority right as believers it's our ultimate authority and god said he will preserve his word right god says my word is pure Um, he says heaven and earth will pass away but my word will last forever Right? All over Scripture, you find the phrase, Thus says the Lord. You know, it is the Word of God. There's no trying to prove it. Scripture never tries to prove that it is, it is the Word of God. It's a given. So, how else do we know that it is the Word of God? Right? It's because we also hear His voice. So, you and I believe Scripture. Right? We know it's God's Word experientially. You know, you've experienced reading God's Word and you know it's God's Word right sometimes you can't explain it just like i know it's god's word um how does god explain that how does god explain us just knowing it so jesus says in john 10 verse 27 my sheep hear my voice right so um if we are saved it is because of god's mercy on us and he makes us spiritually alive and now we're able to hear his voice right? reading the scripture we know this is God's voice and another thing is your voice authenticates itself right? so um, I remember Pastor Mike used the example he's like if you, get on, if you get a call from say your parents say your mom or your spouse right? Uh, they call you they're like hey uh, hi, Kaya how are you? you don't say who's this? And then they're like, it's your mom. Like, okay, what's your ID number? Like, no, it's your mom. It's like, okay, um, where do you live? What's your address? You know, what's the security question? You don't, because you hear the voice and the voice authenticates who it is, right? Is that someone's call? Um, so you hear the voice and it authenticates itself. When you belong to God, the Holy Spirit gives you ears to hear and you know the voice of the Lord Jesus. Right. One day uh, you're reading scripture and it's just a book with maybe interesting stories or it's just a book filled with really wonderful literature or it's just a book of rules that you follow because you want to be good. And then you get saved and, and suddenly, you know, the same book that I've read 10 times that was just dull. It, be, it is the very living word of God. Right. The word of God is living. The Bible becomes amazing. This is God's word. And this does not become God's word to me as I read it. I think that's very important, right? Some Christians sadly believe that it's just a book and it becomes God's word to me as I read it. But if no one reads the Bible, it's still God's word. You know, if no one believes that scripture is, 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 is true or is XYZ, it doesn't change the reality of the fact that it's God's word, right? And so as believers, we come under submission to God. Uh, We submit to his word because he is our authority. Scripture is our authority. Even when we don't understand, which is oftentimes in scripture, we submit to his word and we pray and we study and we work so that we may understand. It's important for us to have humility when coming to God's word. So you and I, we believe so that we may understand, right? Mm -hmm. A proud person, a person full with pride will say, I won't believe until I understand, right? There's a difference there. And it's very, different, it's very dangerous for, to come proud and arrogant and say that because you're talking to God who is infinitely greater than our very tiny, small brains, right? How do we expect to just understand everything concerning an ultimate, infinite God, right? So if you come to God like that, if you come to God all proud, what does the Bible say he will do to the proud? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? That's James 4, verse 6. God resists them, and the proud person will say, you see, I don't understand, so it can't be true, right? So we have to come believing, right? We have to come with faith, but it's never a blind faith. Scripture never calls us to a blind faith. We don't hold onto a blind faith. We don't leap into the unknown, right? We are not shooting and hoping for the best. Um, it's not irrational, because it's not irrational for us to believe and trust the one who knows everything. Right? In fact, that's the best thing you can do, is to trust a God who does know everything, who's in control of everything, who rules the whole universe. So we come in submission and say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand the Trinity. I don't understand your design for men and women in the world. Uh, I don't understand um, how, how exactly Christ takes away my sin, but I submit because that's what your word teaches right? And one day we will understand, right? God is gracious like that. He gives understanding. He gives wisdom, right? God is wisdom. And in the life to come, when we are all with the Lord in glory, then we'll understand perfectly, right? So that is our view of scripture. And it's vital for, for you and I as believers, especially when it comes to important things in life, right? Everything, uh, everyone will say, especially like nominal Christians, yes, I believe in the word of God. This is God's word. Um, um, Jesus is Lord but that's really proven in how we live right? when it comes to issues where scripture confronts your life and affects how you behave, how you use your time how you use your body um, that's where it really comes. that's where we see if Jesus is really the Lord of your life or if you want to be your own God right? how you react to what God says in his word concerning your life is what matters will you obey or do you want to be your own ultimate authority alright so as believers, that's how we should come to the Word of God. Any questions there? Questions, comments? Okay. So, um, let's move on to the Old Testament now, right? The Old Testament, I think most of us would agree, is like mostly neglected in churches today. Uh, Why do you guys think is that the case? Are there any reasons why you think people just don't care about the Old Testament?
1: Sorry,
0: a question. When did God stop his fire? When did he uh, stop? When did (laughs) he So I'd say with the apostles. Um, um so okay there's the Old Testament, right? And then after the Old Testament comes the New Testament and New Testament's written by the apostles, right? Paul, uh you know the names, um all those guys. Um it was written by them. So I think uh, after them, then scripture, the canon of scripture was closed. Or God's God's inspiring of scripture was, was closed. So I think then I think there's a specific date. I just can't think of it in my mind right now. Um but yeah. But in the new, when we get to the New Testament then we'll discuss that as well. Yeah. yeah. yes Oh no, it's a lot of questions to like Oh the the church old testament question. Yeah. yeah,
1: go ahead. So I think um a lot of people struggle to see how Christ fits into um context of the Old Testament, they feel like what happened in the Old Testament is sort of like one thing, and then that was like done, erased, and then Christ came in the New Testament, and then it was a different thing. So they don't really see the connection between um, the Old Testament and New Testament. So they treat it as two separate things that don't really have um, like a continuous line of hmm. Okay. What do
0: you guys think about that? Do you agree? Want to add on to that?
1: Um, I could add on to that. Um, I do agree with that, uh, and, and and I think just to stretch it further, because of a, a misunderstanding of, of, of the God of Scripture, mm. we tend to then look at some events in the Old Testament and feel that they are foreign to the picture we see of, of Jesus, and then people don't see the correlation that you know the 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 God of the Old Testament and Jesus, one and the same person. So, and um, what people would then do is say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with the God of the Old Testament because of some of the things that I see in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and I'd rather stay in the New Testament with this loving, caring Jesus, not realizing that the very New Testament talks a Jesus who's coming with wrath and you know who's going to come with great vengeance. So they want to disassociate themselves mm-hmm. with the God of justice, of vengeance, the God of righteousness, and only stick to the God of love mercy and and grace, not realizing that this is all talking about one God and all those <coughs> attributes add to the nature of who God is. So there's that fear of, 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 of wanting, in fact, it's not even fear, I feel like it's, 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 like for some people, it's deliberate where they look at certain qualities of God and do not want to address them, they do not want to acknowledge those qualities of who mm-hmm. God is. And they'd rather just focus on two or three qualities that they will spend time and again preaching about and they completely ignore versions and and And, and, and um, I'm in certain chapters of scripture because they touch on topics that make them uncomfortable. Hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. And like I was just thinking, as you say that, it's, it's kind of ironic. And I think we'll see that as we go. Uh, we, we stress that, you know, New Testament, God is loving, patient, full of grace. Um, Old Testament is like, op- it's actually the opposite. Like you'll find that God is way more gracious and loving in the Old Testament. But as we go, we, we will see that, right? But I think just like from those two answers, we can see that we can't ignore the Old Testament, right? If you break down the Bible, which is the bigger portion, like Old Testament, Right. Uh, old Testament is significantly larger. It's almost two thirds of your entire Bible. It's a huge section. So if we dismiss it, uh, we're ignoring like a huge part of God's word, right? God doesn't waste words, you know? He never gave us uh, a single verse in, in vain, right? Um, so every dot of scripture is important. It's relevant. It's his wisdom. Um, and in his wisdom, he got, God gave us an account of the old covenant, right? The Old Testament and the New to equip us for life and godliness, right? So just quickly, breakdown of the Old Testament, right? So when we started, 37, I mean, 39 in the Old Testament, um, 29, 27 in the New, do you guys know how this is broken up? Specifically. I'm investing a proper one. So we have our Old Testament, right? And. We have the first five books, and does anyone know what the first five books are called? Genesis. Pentateuch. Wait, wait, did that would Genesis? <laughs> Genesis. <laughs> yeah, well, Genesis is there. So, so yeah, there's two words. Okay, will go to Pentateuch for right? now, right? Pentateuch, right? Pent means five, right? Uh, two means I think it means scrolls. So five scrolls, and um, so what books are those? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, I heard all five there. Um, and who wrote the first five books? Moses. Moses. Cool. And then the next twelve books are called the historical books. These are the historical books. books. Can you guys name some of them? Everyone knows the first five, but this is where we get to see who really knows the Bible. Sorry? First and second, first and second one. Okay, yeah, all the first and second <laughs> are in the historical post. And the end is? and
1: Esther
0: Yes, Ruth Judges. Esther. Esther. Nehemiah. Ezra, yes. I think there's one that you guys missed out. Joshua. It's Joshua. Then we have the five wisdom books, right? Everyone knows those, right? What are those? Yes. No, no, it's not. Proverbs, Proverbs. Ecclesiastes. Psalms. Job. One more. Someone's like Proverbs already. One more guys. No? Love, so awesome. marriage. There we go. <laughs> right, and then the last section is the prophets. Right, and the prophets are split into two, mm-hmm. um, five called the major prophets, and then the twelve minor prophets. So major and minor, not really in importance, just like in volume, right? So five major prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Yeah, that's right. One more. Lamentations. Because Lamentations, Jeremiah, same same WhatsApp group. Okay, and now let's see who are the real Christians, the 12 minor prophets. Sorry? Hosea. Sephanaya. Mhm. Joel. Neam. Joel, yes. Okay. Neam yeah. Malachan. Um, Malachan. Sephanaya. Mika. I feel like some of you guys are making these oh. up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, Sephanaya. Okay, Sephanaya. Because I'm just hearing na-na-naya, na-na-na. Maika, yes. Okay, I'll assume you've heard, I've heard everything, so, yeah. So, if you were to pick up, uh, this is the breakdown of the Old Testament, right? If you were to pick up a Hebrew Bible or a Jewish Bible, um, which is just the Christian Old Testament, so our Old Testament is the entire Bible for the Jewish people, right? You'll see that they have, does anyone know how many books they have? So, they have 24 books, right? Where we have... Thirty nine, they have twenty four, right? Does anyone know why? Yeah, so they combine a lot of the books, so they don't have first, second kings. They just have kings. They just have chronicles, and I think even Nehemiah and Ezra are like put into one book. So they do a lot of uh, combining. Content is hundred percent the same, right? Um, the Jews divide their Bible differently. Um, we have five sections. They have three. Right. So. Um, the first book is called the Torah, right? And the Torah is same here, right? First five books, right? Torah means law or book of instructions, or uh, I think it's come to mean in the book of Moses as well. Sometimes, like they'll just say Moses, right? They'll refer to this as Moses because he's the author of that. And then you have the prophets, right? This is called the Nevi so these are your prophets um, but what they do is they have in the prophets they have all of the prophets here but there's also some of the historical books in there right who they call the former prophets I think what they say is if the author was a prophet then we'll count them as um, part of the prophets there so you'll see some of the historical books in that category so I'll just put law prophets then they have then they have the Ketuvim right? which is the writing, so wisdom literature and, and also some of the historical books are found there right? and then from this right. they take each uh, starting letter to form the Tanakh Right, So Tanakh is kind of take each letter from there and then they put it together. And they're like the Tanakh and they refer... That's what they call their Bible, um, their scriptures, right? Um, Oh yeah, and the, the major component here is the Psalms. So sometimes they call that the Psalms because the Psalms are a huge volume. <coughs> so they re, they use Psalms to refer to Ketuvim, right? So when Jesus came, which Bible did he use? He used the Old Testament, right? All the apostles, Christ... They were preaching from the Old Testament. Um, the passage we read in 2 Timothy 3:16, right, when he says all scripture is God breathed, the word for scripture there is actually a term used for the Old Testament, right? So that's what Paul is talking about there. He's saying the Old Testament, he's saying all of the Old Testament is given by God and is profitable, right? It says in that in that verse, it's profitable for us. So you and I dismiss the Old Testament at our own peril, because it's in the New Testament where we're told that the Old Testament is profitable for us. So one of the the aims, right, as we go through this course, is we'll be going through many themes, right, many uh, themes that we see in Scripture as we go through each book. The biggest one that I want us to see is that the Lord Jesus is primary, right? Jesus is central in all of the books of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. You'll find that the Old Testament has so much to say about Jesus. Many churches either don't preach from the Old Testament because they say, it's in the name, it's old, right? We're in the New Testament, we're in the new covenant, the new times. Um, Or they'll say that uh, the Gospels is is all we need because that's that's where we see Jesus, you know, in the flesh, walking and everything. some, some Christians and pastors and churches say, we want to preach about Jesus because we only see him in the New Testament, so let's just stay there, right? We will visit the Old Testament every now and then for Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, right? Or Psalm 23, one of those two. Other churches teach that, uh, they do teach through the Old Testament, right? But they never get to Christ. They never get to Jesus, right? So it's like the account of David and Goliath is about defeating your enemies and, you know, strength, and you can conquer or. Whatever, you know, um, um, there's many examples like that that you can think of in the Old Testament, right? But if we don't see Christ in the Old Testament and if we don't see him and preach him, we might as well be attending a Jewish synagogue because then it's all about morals and be a good person for the sake of it, right? You can be Jewish, you can be Muslim for that. You don't need to be, be Christian because there's no Christ there. And this is not a case of wanting to make the Old Testament about Jesus because it's the spiritual thing to do, right? Jesus himself said the whole Old Testament is about him. So uh, let's turn to Jude 1. Verse, or there's only one chapter, so go to Jude verse 5, right? Jude verse 5 says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Right? So what is Jude talking about there? Right? People out of Egypt. What is that referring to? It's Exodus. Right? It's referring to the Exodus, that second book of our Old Testament. Right? Um, so who saved the Israelites and let them out of slavery, out of Egypt, according to Jude? It was Jesus. Right? Who killed the people in the wilderness after that? Right. So even then, let's turn to Luke 24. So Luke chapter 24. And when you're there, it's verse 25. Right, twenty five. Um, Luke 24 verse 25 says, And he said to them, O foolish ones, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So um, the context around the passage is uh, Jesus is... uh, He's resurrected, right? He's been resurrected. And, you know, some of the apostles don't know it yet. Some of the disciples don't know it yet. Some are still, like, sad and whatever. And then they hear the news and they're, like, you know, scrambling. And they come to him and they're like, oh, wow, you're actually alive. And what does he say? He's like, you idiots. You know, didn't you read your, your Bible? Didn't you read your Old Testament? Right? Moses and the prophets, right? So it's talking about Torah right? and the prophets. Right? That's what he's referring to there. It says, Moses and the prophets... Um, they speak of me, right? They said this would happen, so why are you shocked? You know, why are you shocked that I'm resurrected? It was clearly seen in the Old Testament that what had happened to me was always going to happen, right? So Moses and all the prophets refers to uh, the entire Old Testament um, and Jesus explains to them um, not only how not only the explicit prophecies about the Messiah, right, but also the historical patterns of God's activity again and again throughout the Old Testament and how that pointed forward to Jesus himself. right. If you go down to verse 44 there, verse 44 says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So you see how it's talking about all three of these characters. I'm sorry, all three of these places. Um categories. That's the word. So all of all of the Old Testament, all of scripture points to Christ, right? So in descri- in in looking at the Old Testament, right, how we are gonna better understand and see Christ is we will use the terms shadow and type, right? So we will use hope you guys can see behind me. Shadows. Types. Right. Um, A type or a shadow is a thing or a person that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Right. There are many uh, types in scripture. You will see as we go along. And uh, basically what the best way to explain it is with the shadow. Right. If you see someone's shadow, but you don't see them, you know, the shadow represents something of them, right? But it's not the full reality. It's not the actual person. So um, I'm standing and I can see uh, a shadow there. I can see that it's a person, can see that their arms are quite long. I can see maybe they have an Afro or they've got a beard or whatever it is, but you can't really make out the full reality, right? Same thing with the Old Testament. You see types and shadows. It's not the full thing. It's kind of pointing to an ultimate reality. Right. We know by virtue of a shadow that there's the actual person. right? And so all through all the Old Testament, you see shadows and types until we get to the ultimate fulfillment, Christ. Right? He's the fulfillment of Scripture. He's the fulfillment of everything. Right? And it's the reason why there's such an emphasis on new covenant and old covenant when we get to the New Testament. Because in, in the book of Galatians, right, the apostle Paul is very angry at the Jews Um, the jews would become christians and they're christians now and slowly and surely they start drifting back into the jewish ways right they start uh, bringing up the circumcision we want to be circumcised we want to have sacrifices they're trying to bring back the old covenant practices right and paul is angry at them he's mad at them he's like what's wrong with you why are you going back to the shadow when you have the real over here you know and um uh, another example that I I like I got it from Mike. So if you have a problem with these examples, you know, take it up with Pastor Mike. Um, but here's an example of say you are engaged, right? You have a fiance, and uh, we're gonna get married soon. So you, obviously you're excited. You know this person's gonna be my wife or my husband. So in the meantime, when I go to bed, I have a picture of them by the bedside. You know, can babes, and. Um, finally, you know, you get married. Now you guys kind of enjoy each other. You know, you have um, the full union, you you one flesh and everything. And then your now spouse comes up and, like, it's time to go to bed. And you're like, it's all right, babe. I've got your picture here. You know, you can sleep in that room. Be like, why? You know, you have the fullness, you have the reality here. Here's your actual spouse, but you're content with the picture of him. Right? And I think the ridiculousness of that example highlights the ridiculousness of going back to the Old Covenant, going back to the types and shadows. When you have Christ, you have the fullness of him. Right, So the point of types and shadows um, is that they give us a clearer and better reality and understanding of who Christ is. Any questions there? Good. Okay. So we're going to break just now but before we do that one very last uh, very important thing that we need to we need in being able to understand you know the bible and correctly interpreted is that we need to learn how to read it in context and we need to learn about certain literary forms and criticisms right one of the first things that's important when coming to a book of the bible is genre So you have genre, right? Um, when you read a newspaper, you open it up and subconsciously you, you know how to differentiate between genre, right? You don't read the comics the same way you read the politics section, right? Because otherwise you'd flip You'd be like, what? What's gonna happen? You know, you go crazy. You don't read the political section the same way you do the lifestyle section, the same way you do the sports section, right? Because those are different genres. And the same thing is true of scripture. When you come to scripture, there's uh, three main categories. Well, actually four. You can actually like go very deep into different genres, but I, I think high level, there's poetry and didactic narrative. And apocalyptic. Right? Why do you think genre is like very important? Context. Context. Right. Need context, and you need to interpret. Right. So, if you read poetry, and you think it's. Uh, so, by the way, didactic means teaching. So, if you think of the epistles, right, Paul's letter to Timothy, it's just teaching, like, do this, do this, do this. Um, narrative, Genesis is a narrative, right? Um, so, if you approach poetry with a didactic genre approach, are you going to get to the correct interpretation? There's no way, right? Because, you know, read, um, what was it, when we went through the book of, uh, the Song of Solomon, right, and Solomon is like, your teeth are like, what? A gazelle. Your body's like this, this, this. And if you picture it, you're like, whoa, that's horrible. Why would you call her that? Right? <laughs> but we know it's poetry. right? So we read it, and we read it with that lens, with that, view, <coughs> with that view, and we're able to correctly interpret it. Similarly, if you come to narrative and you think you approach it as if it's didactic, what's going to happen then? Right? You read... For example, uh, a lot in scripture, when, when people repented, what would they do? They'd put on sackcloth and they'd throw ashes on themselves, right? That's a narrative. That's telling us how people repented, right? If you feel repentant, you don't need to change your clothes and burn something, get the ashes, throw them over yourself, right? Scripture does not teach us that, right? So the point of that is you have to establish or understand the genre, right, as a very... Basic principle, right? Know what kind of book you're reading so that you know how to understand what is being said. So, genre analysis. Secondly, audience, right? Um, So, we have genre and then we have audience. Right? And when it comes to audience, we ask who, why, and when. Right, and first of all, is the Bible written to us? It's not, right? Genesis wasn't written to us, right? It's, it's Paul's letter to the Corinthians, not Paul's letter to the Corinthians and me, right? It's writing specifically to the Corinthians. So we must always keep in mind that the Bible is written to us and sorry, written for us and not to us, right? It's written for us not to us. Um, I think many people, they like to, there's like a sentimental Christianity, you know, like, oh, God is speaking directly to me. Um, you know, like you read, you'll read Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and you'll feel like, yeah, he's writing to me because this is exactly my life situation, and it applies, right? But no, he's writing that to the Israelites. What you do is you can see the principles in that, be like, okay, God here is telling these people that they don't need to worry because he's God, he's in control, right? And the way I will apply that in my life is I know now that God is in control, he's in charge. I don't need to worry, right? So need to be careful when it comes to that as well, right? Because taking verses out of context leads to all kinds of error and misunderstanding, right? A very simple one that I can use to illustrate that is the book of Acts, Right? The book of Acts is a narrative book. right? And that people don't acknowledge that has led to so many destructive things in the church. Because now we're practicing things because we see them in Acts, but Acts never told us that we should do this. right? It's just telling us what had happened. So um, we also need to understand actual context. So when you have context, um, um, you, you have um, historical context what was happening at the time. So, no, with Genesis, there was uh, uh, the, the Egyptians, sorry, the Israelites were led out of Egypt. Um, they were enslaved for 400 years. This is the context. This is the background, right? Um, there's also immediate context. So, as you're reading the passage, right? Because otherwise, we can also make errors. So, someone will read a passage that says, you are blessed. And you're like, oh, amazing. You know? But then you read a sentence before that. It's like, you must be righteous and then you'll be blessed, you know? And you're like, okay, I'll be righteous. I'll work hard to be righteous. And you read the sentence before that, and he says, only those who are in Christ are righteous. Right? And you're like, oh, wait, I have to be in Christ to be righteous, you know? And the sentence before that says, there's none that's, that's righteous. Right? And you see, like, as you go back, as you build, you're like, oh, okay. Okay. It, just, it gives you the full understanding. It doesn't change understanding. It gives you the actual interpretation of what it means at that time. So we'll look at immediate context as well. And, yeah, last thing, when we interpret Scripture, keep in mind the distinction between the interpretation and an application. Right? A passage can only have one interpretation, one meaning. Right? And that is the author's message. Right? It's what God is saying. So God's interpretation is the correct interpretation of Scripture. Right? Applications can be many because we can all come to the same interpretation of a passage, but I apply it differently to my life, you apply it differently to your life. So keep in mind that distinction. So, okay, let's, let's break. Is there any questions? Nope. Okay. Uh, tea, coffee over there, and then we come back or well, stay in this room back in 10 minutes. Cool. Thanks, guys